Blog Talk Radio. again by Juan Silva, although he is not on the line just as yet. Today we're going to be talking about Piper vs. Hart from 92, WrestleMania 8, Sting vs. Cactus from 1991, and from 2015, Nakamura vs. Ibushi, and that was from the Wrestle Kingdom 9. Just give me a second and we'll get Juan Silva on the line. Good afternoon, Logan. Good afternoon, classic wrestling fans. Indeed, indeed. And we have three great matches to talk about today. One from 2015, one from 1991, and one from 1992. So, what are these matches? All right, let me run them down for you real quick. From November of 1991 at a WCW television taping that I believe aired both on Worldwide and World Championship Wrestling... Saturday night, you have um, uh, uh, what, a 
false count anywhere match between Sting and Cactus Jack. A very young Cactus Jack when this match shows the potential that one day he will become the greatest brawler in the history of professional wrestling. And Sting is Sting. Next match, April 5th, 1992, for the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Championship. The only championship Roddy Piper ever held in his storied WWF career. Roddy Piper defending that title against Bret Hitman Hart. And from last month, from the historic uh, pay-per-view, January 4th, 2015, New Japan, Russell Kingdom, in the Tokyo Dome, Shinzuke Nakamura defending the New Japan Intercontinental Championship against Koto Ibushi. Indeed, and uh, this was uh, just a few months ago, so we got the whole gamut of uh, here. We Let's start with 1991, Submit or Surrender from the WCW Power Hour. Um, is Sting vs. Cactus Jack. Was this uh, a feud, of uh, the beginning of a feud, or the end, or what What, what was the situation at, here? At the time, now, the storyline, and Jim Ross, matter of fact, oh, Jim Ross announced two of these three matches. Jim yes. Ross mentions this, and I remember this from following WCW closely at the time. Um, uh, Paul Heyman, I believe, Paul Dangerously at the time, had hired Cactus Jack and Abdullah Butcher to take out Sting. And so that was part of the storyline. Got it. So we got uh, and Cactus. Uh, when did he come in? He came in around ninety one, right, or, or a little bit earlier. Uh, Cactus Jack came in, I believe, late eighty nine. Oh, so he had been there. And what was when he first came in? Was he like a jobber? Jobber at first. He was a jobber at first, and then he became a mid carter. And at this point, he was part of the. First, he was in late eighty nine when he came. He was a jobber. Then, um, he was part of Kevin Sullivan's stable. And he would on and then off again uh, be hooked up with Kevin Sullivan. So at this point, he's no longer a jobber. He's a mid-carder. And he's with Abdullah the Butcher. And they were, this was just a few weeks after that crazy Halloween Havoc 91 match where the loser would get put in an electric chair and Abdullah Butcher was put in an electric chair against all the Steiners. Wow. Wait, so this, this electric chair match was between... Uh, Cactus no, Jack. Cactus Jack and Abdullah oh. the Butcher. I think it was Cactus Jack, Abdullah the Butcher, and Vader versus the Steiners and Sting. My my memory is kind of funny, oh. but it was a crazy match from Halloween wow. Havoc '91. Yeah. Crazy idea with the electric chair. Wow. All right, so you got uh, Sting uh, here uh, sporting the uh, flat top and the rat tail, full on '80s mode here, but still uh, carrying it into '90. One <laughs> and uh, the uh, the cactus jack, of course, is just playing that Charles Manson crazy guy with the bang bang, um, and uh, they they come in and they're you know initially um, thing gets attacked right when he gets in the ring, and uh, so cactus jack starts laying it on him pretty thick, and uh, now. Um, there at one point um this is a no disqualification match so a trash can uh comes into play and it gets pushed over cactus's head where he then gets um uh splashed i mean i basically gets hit with it kicked with it uh, drop kicked and then splashed from the top rope um onto the trash can um took some sick bumps in this match just some sick 
bumps. Yeah. At one point, Sting goes for a leapfrog, and Cactus oh, Jack punches him. Head butts him into the into the in the midsection or the, or, or below the belt. That was a great move. Yeah, in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's be honest here. So then uh, outside, uh, there's a, a, a chair shot to Sting, um, and then back Jack in the ring. Elbow smash from the top rope to the concrete floor. Yes. Yes, and uh, but that this is a little bit later. We're we're still here in the early part of this match. Uh, Just some of the, uh, the, the 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 crazy moves that Cactus Jack made. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, uh, he Sting um, gets caught with a flying headbutt in the ring, and then a double arm DDT. Um, Sting misses with his splash, and um, as he's uh, it's it, he jumps at Cactus from the second rope, but uh, Cactus reverses it by throwing him throat first, uh, Sting throat first onto the top rope, and then yes, we get the Cactus drop, uh, Cactus elbow drop from the apron floor, uh, from the apron to the floor, um, and uh, then Cactus uh, Sting gets back in the ring, and Cactus tries to bring a chair in. And as he tries to hit Sting with it, he bounces the chair off the rope, and it hits him right in the head. And then, um, mm. and then Sting gives him a drop kick to the face, and that makes him knock his head, his back of his head, onto the cement. That and was a Sting- bump because he took that bump. That was no faking that. Oh yeah, he looked like, and he was knocked out by it. I mean, either that was either one of the one probably one of the first concussions of a many concussed of of many concussions throughout uh, Mick Foley's career. Yeah, and so then uh, Sting gets him in the Scorpion Lock, and he he's out. So there can be the, the referee yeah, the stops referee, the match. The referee calls for the bell because uh, Cactus is completely out. He's knocked out and. Maybe in real life he was knocked out because that was a sick bump. He, you know how you have the the mats down on the ring. His head hit between the the mat and the what you call it the the the, the, the ring barrier, whatever you call those things. He hit the cement right there in between the barricade and the mat. Yeah, there was no padding there, so he was out and Sting wins it. But you know, it looks like this feud must continue. Uh, do you think that? Um, this is their best match, or do you think there's... No, the best match we covered already from Beach Blast 92. Uh, That's right. Count anywhere match. That was phenomenal. Must watch, and you can listen to our to our show covering that match. But that was a great, great match. Sting had great matches with Cactus Jack, uh, Great Muda, Ric Flair, Vader. Those were his best opponents because they brought out the best in Sting. Because they, they would be able to work around Sting's athleticism. As you can see in this match, Sting was one of the greatest natural athletes ever to wrestle in a wrestling ring. Wrestling. Now, what do you think Sting's greatest match in WCW was of all time? He had a lot of great matches. We've covered most of them on this show. I would say his match with Sting with Flair, the 45-minute draw. And what about uh, Cactus Jack? Cactus Jack's greatest match in WCW was probably a match we covered here on this show. Uh, the the Texas Death Match with Invader, Halloween yeah. Havoc '93. I would definitely choose that one as well. That was insane. Yeah. So we got uh, two, not 
Wrestling Observer Hall of Famers, although is... Um, oh, Cactus, Cactus Jack's is in the Wrestling Hall of Fame, yes. Sting, not yet, but he should be. No, Sting, not That's yet. Hopefully, this run in the WWF will put him over the top next year. Yeah, that should do it. So, uh, we so this uh, let's just talk a little bit about the time here in WCW. Um, how were they doing around '91? They were, were right. they doing okay. Right this is a couple of months after Flair had left right. to go to the WWF, and WCW is struggling here. But creatively, it's about to get better because Jim Hurd is about to get fired, replaced with Kip Fry who's later replaced by Bill Watts in 1992, as we've mentioned many times, was a banner year for WCW creatively. You had the Dangerous Alliance with uh, Paulie Dangerously, with guy, with Sabisco, Anderson, uh, uh, Stunning Steve Austin, uh, Bob, beautiful Bobby Eaton, and Captain by Ravishing Rick Rude, who had a spectacular 92 as the best heel on the planet. Um, you had Vader coming in. You had Ron Simmons with his run as WCW World Champion. 92 was a phenomenal year creatively for WCW. And they were getting better at, 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 at the gate. Not as great as they would like, but 92, was, things looked like it was going to turn around until the infamous um, article came out about Bill Watts not wanting, if he owned his own store, he wouldn't um, serve black people, some shit like that, and he was forced to resign in early 93, and WCW took a step back. <laughs> Stupid comment there for Bill Watts, and uh, yeah, arguably ruined the promotion for a little while. Yeah, that promotion was, it, it was on the upheaval, fans were getting into it, I mean, there was one, every weekend on a television, was one great match after another, and we covered a lot of those matches, 92 and Logan has mentioned as many times in the show, 92 was a banner year because Logan's like, God damn, 92 had a lot of great wrestling matches. Yes, yes. In both in both um, companies. Well, and, and throughout the world. I mean, 1992 right. might have been the greatest year uh, f- as far as wrestling matches go, as far as this show goes, because we've covered a lot of matches. Triple uh, A started. You had uh, CMLL had great matches. New Japan, All Japan. WCW and what a segue WWF as the next match is from that year April fifth, nineteen ninety two, WrestleMania eight, Roddy Roddy Piper versus Bret Hart for the Intercontinental Championship. Face versus face, and uh, this is where Bret Hart. Has, Bret Hart has uh, has he even won the Intercontinental Championship yet? Yeah, the not yet. Intercontinental Championship in a match we covered on this show from SummerSlam ninety one when he beat Mister Perfect. That's then, right. Um, I don't know. I think Dave might have covered this in the Observer back then. There was a meeting between Bret Hart and WCW. It might have been, yeah, Kip Allen Fry, who had taken over for Jim Hurt, where he was offering Bret Hart a chance to jump for more money than he was making at WWF. McMahon and Pat Patterson heard about this, and they quickly had Bret Hart lose the Intercontinental Championship to the Mountie in early January of 92, early part of 92. Bret Hart denied this, stayed on contract, but this was punishment for talking to the other side. And the WWF, and this is a, a, a foreshadowing things to come, took the belt off Bret Hart real quick just, just in case Bret Hart had decided to jump. Bret Hart didn't jump, so they went back with Bret Hart as the Intercontinental Champion. But first, they had Piper beat the Mountie at the Royal Rumble to set up this passing of the torch, as you as you might say. This is a great passing of the torch moment. 
Well, it's funny because they were paranoid because of what they had done with the belt of the WCW belt. They thought exactly. that exactly wow, <laughs> it was going to get right? done to them. And the only time thinks to come later on doing the Monday Night Wars. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the only time they would ever kind of do it again was with Medusa, and uh, that was humiliating to them. But but in general, they never nobody uh, brought in a WWF belt into WCW at all, uh, except for that one time. But um, nonetheless, they were totally paranoid about it, even though they did well, it themselves. Like you said, Logan, and I forgot about this. They had just done that six months prior. So they wanted, they, and remember, WCW took, took WWF to court over that, and they were forced to block out the letters of the, so yeah. WWF didn't want retribution. They went ahead, and they had Bret Hart lose it right away as a punishment and as a way of protecting themselves. But uh, Bret, Bret wasn't seriously leaving. I mean, he knew that he was about to get a big push, and I think this punishment helped, helped rectify that. And so this is the match coming off of what happened with that. WrestleMania 8, Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper. The promos going into this was great. Uh, Piper Piper used real life in his promos. When Piper was coming up as a teenager, he was at the dungeon, and Stu Hart helped him a lot. And so he would bring that up in these promos. Bret Hart and Roddy Piper always considered themselves cousins because Piper looked at Stu Hart as an uncle-type figure. Yeah, and uh, Piper – now, Piper grew up in Canada – yeah, un, un, unfortunately, Piper is not Scottish. He grew up and was raised in Canada. <laughs> right, but he had, he doesn't have any Scottish blood. I don't, I don't. Roderick Toombs does sound like a Scottish name, so I'm sure he does have Scottish her- heritage. But he grew up and he is Canadian. Okay, all right. Well, anyway, this gimmick with the the kilt very unique. I mean, I don't think anyone really has tried it. Piper, he doesn't sound like Sean Connery. <laughs> no, he doesn't have the voice. The 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 the. Um, but he, you know what? It's it's a great gimmick. His gimmick was always great. I mean, just a guy wearing a skirt, especially a heel, and even when he became face, it worked for him. Uh, just it the bagpipes. Like, he was a tough guy with the kill. You make fun of his skirt, but he showed you he could he could kick your ass. He could fight. Yeah, and and Piper's in really good shape here. Uh, he's a he's a movie star at this point. I think he's already done. They live. Um, yeah, he's. A- as a matter of fact, this would be his last match in the WWF for over a year as he would go back to um, to the movies after this match. Yeah, but n- none of his movies would do any much better uh, than... Uh, it was the only, only uh, hit that he ever had. Yeah, but it was... It is a cult classic, and it still remembers to this day. It's it's solid boxing. You know, we have to do Day Live on the on the movie show, but yeah, that that's definitely we have to do Day Live. But Day Live was a box office success. Remember, it was an independent film, and the first week it was number one at the box office. The only movie you ever had premiere at number one. Yep, and uh, I would say that before The Rock, I'd say he was probably the one of the most successful transfers uh, he, to movies. He, he was the best. Before The Rock, he was the best wrestler turned actor. Yeah. And he was also in Body Slam, wasn't he? Yeah, that, he was in that horrific film, yes. <laughs> the Tonga Kid and the Samoans. Yeah, Dirk Benedict. <laughs> it's still fun to watch, but yeah, it's it's a ridiculous movie. But, um, but yeah, so Piper um, is kind of in and out here, so he's it's perfect for him to come in and put over Bret Hart because he's 
definitely not going to stick around. We mentioned this in the last show. Roddy Piper came back to the WWF in the spring of 89, and for three straight years, he was a a regular attraction. He wasn't a guy who would come in as a special attraction. Piper worked steadily and regularly from the WWF from 89 to 92. This would be the last match of that three-year run. After this, he would become a special attraction. 93, he wrestled Lawler in a bullshit match. Uh, 94, he was the referee for the match between Bret Hart and Yokozuna at WrestleMania 9. Um, well, no, WrestleMania 10, my bad, WrestleMania 10. Then in um, 95, he, he fought Goldust in that in that back alley brawl at WrestleMania, um, no, that was 96, WrestleMania 12. And yeah, then, the gay bashing, that gay yeah, bash brawl. The gay bash brawl, yeah. And then shortly after that, he would jump to WCW. Yeah, that was kind of a dumb thing there, but um, it was it was a good good. Brawl oh, he made there, a lot. He made a, it wasn't dumb for him. He made a lot of money at WCW. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, so he um, is here. He's uh, he, he's he's taken to Hitman. Hitman basically. We, we can start talking about this match here. Hitman um, kind of establishes his wrestling prowess early by getting at wrist lock and not letting go. Um, but Piper eventually overcomes him with some good brawling and eventually bloodies um, Bret Hart. Um, there, so this 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 match is pretty back and forth. But at the first at first, uh, Piper really fucks up. Um, well, like Mr. at the beginning of the matches, they try to wrestle. You know, the thing is, it's Piper the brawler versus Bret Hart the excellence of execution. But they actually, for the first four or five minutes, try to wrestle each other. Yeah, Roddy's not much of a wrestler, but he gets so he gets caught up in a lot of um, Hitman's uh, stuff. Hitman's clearly the superior guy. Um, they finally go for a um, test of strength, um, and uh, at one point, Hitman plays possum and uh, with I his like shoulder, yes, yes. <laughs> and he, and eventually uh, he he hit a drop kick, and he act like his shoulder was hurt after he hit Piper with the drop kick. Right, and uh, then then Hot Rod tells him, "Oh, your shoes untied," and then attacks him. So we see that basically there's a uh, the, the 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 camaraderie is breaking down here. So then uh, Piper hits a bulldog after he bloodies him, and uh, oh! now I want to bring this. You just brought up something that historically is very important in the annals of WWF history. At this point in time, Logan blading had been banned by the WWF. McMahon wanted no blading. He's no one bled. Bret Hart and Piper came up with a plan where during the bulldog he bladed, and it made it look like the bulldog busted him hard way. No, he bladed real quick. Just no one saw it. In the next match, Piper uh, Flair versus um, Savage. Flair, Flair, Flair. A match that we covered on the show. Flair gigs. And McMahon curses him and Savage out after the match. How the fuck could you do that? You know, and then they met, and then it was, but, but Brett did it. No, no, Brett was hardware, you stupid motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. So let's go into you, this. Brett could get away because it looks like he's bleeding out of his eye. I mean, this is a, a great play job and a great acting job by Brett Hart to get away with with the blood in his match. Indeed. And he's got, um, he, you know, he's got the upper hand here. 
Piper, I mean, um, Bret Hart is completely bloody. He keeps trying to get him for pins, but it's not working. So um, he eventually goes to the top rope very slowly, unfortunately. And I think, let's see, uh, oh, yeah, Bret gets up, hits him, crotches him on the the top turnbuckle, and then pulls him off by his hair and then just fucking drops him down, slams him down his head first on the ground. Your moves now. You know a lot of people. Bret Hart gets criticized just just like he criticized Ric Flair. He criticized Ric Flair about Ric Flair having the same matches over and over again. And then people have criticized Bret Hart. That's not true. This match doesn't look like any other Bret Hart match except for the signature moves he does right now. He does the staff suplex, the elbow smash, the, 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 the yeah, the, the the Russian leg sweep. But other than that, this doesn't look like another Bret Hart match. This is not a formulaic Bret Hart match. This is a great babyface versus babyface match in which both guys be, start brawling, and it looks like both, a feud is about to ignite. The friendship is over. Yeah, so he goes for the uh, sharp shooter, and um, Piper grabs the leg and doesn't let him do it, um, keeps blocking it. Great little scramble here trying to get it. Then finally, uh, Brett hits him with a nice... Uh, elbow drop straight up standing and then uh, he gets on the second rope and comes off with a uh, an elbow but then Piper gets his foot up right into the face of of, of Bret Hart so we're, we're dealing with here like uh, just a, a a back and forth brawl here where they're kind of getting finally the ref there's a ref bump um, the the uh, P- Piper gets starts um I guess uh, Bret Hart gets thrown into the ref. They're on the outside with the ref not looking, uh, and the crowd's going crazy here because uh, these two are really giving up a good show. Finally, Piper just goes nuts and starts throwing him into the steel steps, back into the ring. He's trying to get the – he actually gets a chair – or no, the ring bell. No, Um, he gets the ring bell. He gets the ring bell. This is great psychology. Piper is a, both these guys are master psychologists. And Piper picks up the ring bell, and it looks like he's full out heel. He's turned yeah, look, on he's going to go back to heel. Yeah, he's about to turn heel, and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm looking at this like, no, no, Piper turning heel. No, no. And then Piper before, and, you know, Bret Hart gets up. Bret Hart is all fucked up. Bret Hart is, like, begging Piper not to do it. He's at his knees, and then... Piper at the last minute throws the bell out the ring and decides to just put the sleeper on Bret Hart. He puts the sleeper on Bret Hart. Bret Hart kicks off the turnbuckle and pins Piper while Piper has Bret Hart in the sleeper hold. Great finish, great psychology to a great match. Yeah, and then Piper shakes his hand afterward. Yeah, showing his and good sports. The bell on Bret Hart, sort of a passing of the torch. Oh, definitely a passing of the torch, and uh, you know this basically starts uh, really the, the the singles career. Yeah, this starts uh, a major push. Now, McMahon and Patterson had in mind that Piper, that Bret Hart would beat Pipe, would beat Piper, and then a year later would beat Hogan. Of course, Hogan put a kibosh to that. Yeah, Hogan can only be beat by like somebody Arthur. that that takes more roids than him. So that's that's his rule. Or, or, or is four hundred pounds. Yeah, somebody who's like 
much heavier or takes more steroids. So uh, I, I think he wouldn't let he wouldn't put Sid Vicious over, and Sid took many more steroids than Hogan. Indeed, and uh, he was also bigger. Uh, but uh, but we got here. Um, what happened was with this pin. Um, and it's not true. Also, he never let Vader go over either in WCW. So Hogan, he picks and chooses who goes over him. He it's not always oh. gotta be a up, even though Hogan came up with the excuse. Oh, he's too little to beat me. We can't do that. Yeah, he's always got to have. We got to protect the business. He's always got to. Uh, he's always. <laughs> You can't let a little, little guy like Bret Hart beat me. We gotta protect the business. <laughs> he's he's obsessed with having his win back too. Anytime Even he does. Real it. fight, Bret Hart would put Hogan in the hospital. The fuck out of here. <laughs> you know how hard? Yeah, exactly. You know how hard it? Uh, he 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 tried to get Yokozuna to come to WCW to get his fucking yeah, win he back. To get his win back, but Yokozuna couldn't pass any physicals. <laughs> Ridiculous. So, yes, yeah, so he got Piper here putting the belt on Hitman, and what was his reign going to be after this? All right. Real quickly with Piper. Piper was supposed to redo Piper's pit the following week after WrestleMania, but he got into a contract dispute with, with McMahon and just walked out. He wouldn't come back till SummerSlam 93, which was uh, horrendous. No, I'm sorry, SummerSlam 94. So he, would, he would come back to WrestleMania in 94, two years later, WrestleMania wow. 10. So, yeah, so this would be the last we see of Piper for two years. As far as Bret Hart goes, he would hold the, the Intercontinental Championship till SummerSlam, where he lost to Davey Boy Smith, another match that we covered on this program. Great, great wrestling match. He loses to a cracked out, cracked out on the pipe, Davey Boy Smith, carries Davey Boy Smith to the greatest match of Davey Boy Smith's career. All right? After that match, he would be. He would then um, win the World Wrestling Federation Championship for the first time, October of this year, 1992. From Ric Flair. That's right, Ric Flair. So then we have um, this right after this match. Just interesting. They have an interview with Lex Luger, who just entered the promotion. So with the world, or actually, he entered the the bodybuilding promotion. Oh, bodybuilding Federation, which was a way of going around his contract. He he wasn't going to wrestle. He was going to be part of the World Bodybuilding Federation. He was definitely jacked, bigger oh, than he's ever been. Now Luger was blessed with great genetics. Where if he wasn't using steroids, he still had one of the best, if not the best, body in wrestling. When he was on steroids, like in this fucking segment, oh my god! Oh yeah, he's a monster. So, so let's get. On to this, uh, we're running out of time, so let's get out to this last match. 2015, Kota Ibushi versus Shinsuke Nakamura from and Wrestle Kingdom I, 9. I, I watched both I watched both versions because I have New Japan World. And New Japan World, they did a great job. I don't understand what they're saying, but I love the enthusiasm. The Japanese announcements are great. The English version, fucking Jim Ross and Matt Stryker are ridiculously great doing this commentary, bring up both guys' backgrounds. I mean, Stryker knows every move. Love Matt Stryker, New Japan. And you could tell when he's interested, he's a great commentator because he knew every move. He knew their backgrounds, the, the title history, the whole nine. Great tandem. I hope they do another pay-per-view. Right now it's questionable whether or not it's going to happen with New Japan. But this was a great fucking announcing announcing um, 
of, of by both guys, and it made a great match even greater. Yeah, they did a great job here. And uh, so we get these great entrances here, especially from uh, uh, Nakamura, man. He comes. says that Nakamura is the uh, Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson of Japan, but once he gets to the ring, those comparisons are no longer of, of valid because of his toughness. Oh, once he gets in the ring, he's the Terry Funk of Japan. I mean, exactly. I oh, great comparison. Yes, yes, yes. He is the most. Next to Hiroshi Tanahashi, he's the most charismatic star that New Japan has. This fucking Nakamura is unbelievable. He just doesn't have um, Tanahashi's look. Tanahashi has a great look. Nakamura looks like a regular flabby-chested motherfucker who will fuck you up. And he's got all the charisma in the world. Yeah, I'd say that he he has more charisma than Tanahashi, but he doesn't have the look. But Tanahashi, with the look... And the charisma is a bigger star, but Nakamura does have more char- charisma because of the way he looks. He has to have it, or else who would follow this guy? He just, when he walks down the ring, he acts like a star. He looks like a star. Yeah. He comes in with a big crown, like a, uh, <laughs> a crazy oh, entrance. He's phenomenal, man. He, he would have been great. He would have been a great old school wrestler back in the day in the territories. He would have made money. Yeah, he's gyrating. He's doing all kinds of moves. He comes in when he gets announced. It's it's hilarious. Uh, he gets he he falls on his back and basks in the crowd cheer. And, and the, crowd uh, they, the crowd loves this motherfucker. Yeah. Now Kota Ibushi is more of like you know the white bread version. You know he's he's he's, he's more like, of your traditional baby face. Yes. Yeah. So Obushi is definitely like a little bit of a heel here, but he's he's a fan favorite, and um, but he's not you know he's Another a brawler. Another face, so. face match. This is, there's no heels in this match. Two of the biggest uh, faces in, in in New Japan. I mean Nakamura is just phenomenal, and Obushi. I love the comparison. Jiro's like this could make him a star. He wins this match, he could be a star. Yep. Now, Bushi gets the early advantage and puts his boot in, in uh, Nakamura's face and shakes in the Nakamura way of doing things. He almost, like, mocks his, you know, moveset there. But that really pisses off uh, Nakamura, who doesn't, who fucks him up with knees. And uh, especially, and on the, on the ring apron, he gets him with a knee from, from below and from above. Yes, um, yes. So then he's got the advantage. Um, Ibushi gets a forearm, um, but uh, Nakamura just uh, brushes it off. Um, and then uh, some great hand-to-hand action here, right? And then we get uh, j- right into a Jericho backstabber from Nakamura. Oh, that shit looks like it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Then we get a Frankensteiner from Ibushi out of nowhere. I love um, how Jim Ross is like, Oh, that was a Frankensteiner, or who would cut Rana, or whatever we say, I'm sure we're going to get criticized for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Finally, Bushi does a backflip to the floor on Nakamura that's unbelievable from the fucking top turnbuckle. Oh, he runs. He runs. He, about he does a, not a backflip. What you call that shit? Not a somersault. Moonsault, Moon, right? Moonsault. Where, where he runs to the ropes, does the moonsault, and jumps up at the same time all in one motion. Yeah, unbelievable agility here. Ibushi um, is phenomenal. Just a great high flyer in the tradition of Jushin Liger, 
Dynamite Kid, Tiger Mask, and Rey Mysterio. Just on the in the tradition of those guys, he does those guys justice. Yeah, uh, he hits uh, Nakamura with a drop kick from the t- the turnbuckle. Uh, big some big kicks, and then a standing shooting star press to Nakamura almost gets oh, three count. Was, I mean, he did that. You know, usually a guy got to go to the top rope and elevates. This guy doesn't stand it. Oh my god! Yeah, but then when Ibushi's drop jumping off the top turnbuckle, he gets that one legged drop kick to the face oh, from Ibushi. I'm gonna be going like this for the next ten minutes. What a <laughs> what, what a what a one footed drop kick right right in his face. Yeah, and then uh, who is it? Who gets the face plant suplex? Is that is that Ibushi? He basically gets him up for a suplex and then slams him on his face instead. That was Nakamura, wasn't it? Oh, my yeah, man. Nakamura. Just, yeah, Nakamura. <laughs> yeah, and then so Ibushi's on the turnbuckle, and he gets a, he gets Frankenstein off it. Ibushi um, Frankenstein's Nakamura off the top turnbuckle in one effortless motion. Yeah, then we see a a corkscrew moonsault, some um, and oh, uh, great. oh yeah, oh my god, yeah. Uh, Jim Ross kept up with the match. It was corkscrew moonsault, my oh my. And Jim Ross throughout this whole match was like, my lord, oh my god. And then he get he catches Nakamura with a big kick behind the ear. Man, it looked like it really hurt. That, um, that was right on the money and uh, knocked his Ill- Nakamura looked like he was knocked out like Cactus Jack in the first match we mentioned. He was completely out. Um, Ibushi goes for another move, and it's two and a half count because Jim Ross like, oh, he just missed the three. How did he kick out? He kicked out. He kicked out with his free arm. No, now he when... did the Tiger driver. He did the t- Ibushi did the Liger driver, the Tiger driver, and Nakamura kicks out at two and a half. Yeah. Uh, he also goes to the top and tries to flip and do a splash. He misses, and that's where um, uh, Nakamura hits him with the bumba, yeah, the knee to the back of the head. And then we see Abushi coming out with some real closed fists, hitting the fuck out of uh, Nakamura. Like, 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 like it's two guys going for broke. They're slapping each other, punching each other at the same time, just connecting. This is. Reminiscent of the All Japan matches back in the 1990s between Masawa and Kawada, Kawada and Kobashi and Kobashi and Masawa. Just very physical. I don't know how these guys didn't get hurt legitimately from the shit they were doing in this match. Yeah, so he's hitting, um, uh, Ibushi's hitting Nakamura with these uh, closed fists, and then he, um, Nakamura pushes Ibushi into the ref and then hits him with a crazy arm bar. Um, from like jumps up and gets him into an armbar from like the air. It was really crazy. Yes, you see that yes. when he like twirls around and and he doesn't actually get it. He just he almost gets it. Um, and then um, and then finally uh, Nakamura gets a bombaye to his fucking. Uh, uh, I guess they, they they hit knees or they try to like they oh, they both hit. They, each hit other. They, they try to knee each other and they knee each other at the same time. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, there's some some great hand to hand here, and then finally, somehow in the midst of this hand to hand combat, Ibushi hits a double foot stomp to the abdomen. I, I never oh, I understand yes. how he well, got. What happened? What happened is he he came off the ropes. Uh, Nakamura was coming off the ropes, and Ibushi was going for a drop kick. 
uh, Nakamura falls down to the floor, and instead of drop kicking him, he stops him in the chest. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. And then there's a um, there's a suplex from the um, the top rope, and then a, a, it, it, it's weird. It's it's this weird um, thing where Abushi's standing on the other side of the ropes, and somehow. Um, uh, or no, um, is it Abushi? Yeah, he, Abushi drags Nakamura over the rope into a fucking uh, like back suplex, a German suplex. Like from I, it was just this crazy move. Some of these moves I don't even know how to describe them, but he got him in a German. You couldn't describe them. You know, they, they look like they were doing them on the fly. He got him in a German, lifting him up from the other side of the ropes into the ring, which was an amazing move, power move. You could, and then, but um, <clears throat> he, there's a Bombayek kick out of nowhere, and that uh, finishes Ibushi. And that, and I love Jim Ross goes, that's like a slugger in boxing who lands that one great shot out of nowhere to finish his opponent off. Now the Bombayé is basically the Daniel Bryan knee. Uh, yes. So yeah, but much more physical. Daniel Bryan doesn't catch WWE. But uh, Daniel Bryan would fit perfectly with these guys in New Japan. Um, oh uh, yeah. Daniel, if you're listening, try to get out your contract, and go to New Japan, man. Fuck the WWE. They're never gonna make you number one, right? Yeah, go for a few years at least, and then come back. You'll be yeah. in the same spot. So. so. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I guess we got uh, these matches covered, man, and uh, we'll be back talking uh, The Big Lebowski later. So those of you who like movies, check out Logan's Movie Reviews. And um, what uh, what do you got on the horizon for greatest oh, matches? Quick before we go off the air, Ron Simmons versus uh, Lex Luger, all right, uh, from Halloween Havoc 91. Well, Lex Luger was a WCW world champion. Ron Simmons up and coming contender. Uh, we'll have... Uh, the match of the year from last year, AJ Styles. I forgot what it was, but I'm get that off New Japan World and send um, Logan the link. We'll be talking about that and um one more one more match. All right, we'll be looking forward to that on the Pro Wrestling Opinion Show, and we are going to go off the air here. But check us out later on tonight. We're talking Big Lebowski, great movie, and uh, talk to you in a few hours. Good man. All right, talk to you then, and uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll. Talk to you next week. Peace.